I don't know about you, but I, I, I wasn't keeping up with the events of Wednesday. I was in meetings and had things going on. I've got two daughters at home from college. They were keeping up, very much keeping up and sending me things along the way. But it wasn't until I was driving home Wednesday um, that I kind of got the download. And uh, I remember sitting with my youngest daughter, Sally, and I said, Sally, I'm overcome with sadness. Not a depressive sadness, just sadness at what's unfolded. And I'm so grateful to be brought before the throne of grace and to know in God's providence as we just prayed. Matthew 5, you want to know how to respond? Matthew 5, 6, and 7 would be our response. So, so grateful for that. Uh, let's open our Bibles to Matthew 6. We're going to pick up our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we paused for Advent. We are gonna be in Matthew 6, one through four this morning before we read these words. We've got some work to do. Having been out of the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to reacquaint ourselves with it. Uh, if, if we don't, then uh, we're gonna we're going to find ourselves in a troubling place. Jesus, in a few moments, will read these four verses. And if, if I can paraphrase it, and this is not what he says, but the gist of it would be something along these lines. You need to stop reading your Bible. It's killing you. Now, if Jesus said those words, we would all go, what? And uh, if we don't understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount, then uh, we, could be, uh, uh, we could be derailed, if I may say that, by Jesus's words. And so we've got to go, wait, wait, wait. Let's get our context and the content of the sermon itself, the interpretive key that we understand within the context itself, to help us understand and then apply Jesus's words. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend a good bit of time on a review introduction, and then we'll hit these four verses. So I wanna do it this way. If you think about um, the, the Sermon on the Mount, I, I'm gonna suggest there are, there are two themes that run through the Sermon on the Mount. One way to think about this would be, I'd like you to think about the Sermon on the Mount like railroad tracks, two parallel lines. And upon that railroad track runs the Sermon on the Mount. In, you can't remove one, you can't separate them. Uh, everything that Jesus says, everything he commands rises out of these two themes. Now, the first and, and this, none of this will surprise you. The first I want to suggest is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Y'all, the book of Matthew, the entire book of Matthew, may I say this, from beginning to end, Jesus is continually saying the kingdom of God is at hand. The, the, Matthew will say it this way. He, he came proclaiming the kingdom of God. When we get into this particular section called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, within this context repeated seven plus times, the kingdom of God. And here we see Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of God is, it's the kingdom of God is the blessing of the righteous. It is the aim of life. It is the will of God. 
What's the will of God? The kingdom of God. That's why Rob and I said, we need to pause. We took a three-week dive into the kingdom of God. What is it? What does it mean? How do we understand it? And how does it affect our lives today? The Bible itself is the story of the kingdom of God from Genesis to Revelation, the establishing of God's kingdom. It was lost early by Adam and Eve's disobedience. It was secured some 2000 years ago by the life, death, and resurrection of the son, Jesus Christ. The Bible defines the kingdom of God with these concepts. People can do it different ways, but they'll all fit really in this realm. It is the people of God in the place of God, under the rule of God, enjoying the blessings of God. Someone asked you, gosh, what is the kingdom of God? Well, it's the people of God in the place of God, under God's rule and enjoying God's blessing. Now, in this way, uh, we understand the kingdom, as Jesus says, it's now. Look, when Jesus came, it came. It's here. The fullness and finality of the kingdom is yet to come. But the kingdom exists. The kingdom is real. The kingdom is in our here and in our now. In this way, we understand the Bible teaches the kingdom is now and not yet. I want you to say that with me. The kingdom is now and not yet. Y'all, if, if, we, if we miss that, we get confused. Uh, we misread the Bible. We misread the promises. The kingdom is now and it's not Yet. Now, in this way, we come to see the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It is the kingdom manifesto. It is the distillation that Jesus says, you want to know your, your job description, you want to know what life is about, you want to know why you're on the planet, the Sermon on the Mount. It is our kingdom manifesto. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you are in the kingdom. Faith in Christ puts you in the kingdom. And therefore, you're a citizen of God's kingdom. And therefore, your core identity, your essence is not your race. It is not your country. It is not your politics. It is not your gender. It is not your vocation. It is your identity as a citizen of God's kingdom. And what the sermon tells us is a kingdom citizen lives way different than a non-kingdom citizen. I mean, it's like black and white. The kingdom of God, that's the first rail. That's the first theme. The second, this will not surprise you at all, is the heart of man, man being mankind, humanity. If the Bible's story is the kingdom of God, it is just as much the heart of man. From Genesis to Revelation, our God, you all, has always been about the heart of humanity, not just the behavior of humanity. 
but the heart. It is not just about outward obedience. It is about an inward transformation and change. One way we pictured this was to picture the Sermon on the Mount uh, as an iceberg. And you'll see this image. We had this up for many weeks. We'll continue to have it. And you know, when you have an iceberg, the beauty of this illustration is pretty you know, universal. And you go, well, there's an iceberg. And all you see is the tip of the iceberg. Now, we know there's more, but point being, all you really see is the tip. The religious leaders of Jesus's day, you all, had boiled down relationship with God to behavior. That's, I'm telling you, that's what they taught. If the tip of the iceberg's good, if it's clean, if it's right, you're good. Jesus comes along and drains the ocean. And so we know in God's eyes, please know this, he doesn't see the tip of the iceberg. He sees the whole iceberg. And if what's under the waterline is not right, okay, no amount of rightness at the tip will change the whole. It's the whole. Now, we took that illustration and said, you can think of it this way. You can think of it as the heart of humanity. Now, when I say heart, I am, I'm just taking what the Bible says. And the Bible says the heart is the essence of who you are. It is the control center of your life. Your heart is made up again, according to the Bible, of that part of you. It's, it's immaterial. Please understand this. I'm not talking about the beating organ, but I'm talking about the essence of your soul. It is where you think. It is where you feel. I mean, where do, where do those feelings come from? Well, they come from the heart, according to the Bible. But what about your longings and desires? They come from within the heart. But what about when I choose something, whether good or bad? It comes from the heart. You see, the heart, it's your thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices, integrated, whole, and united. And we know sin blows that apart. God has always been concerned with the whole heart. But we, like the iceberg, can tend to live our lives with the tip of life visible and all the thoughts and emotions and desires of our lives under the waterline. And like the Pharisees, quite frankly, and we've all got it in us, we can live our life going, I'm doing all the right things. I'm good. Hey, you're doing all the right things. You're good. And God says, no. Draining the ocean. You understand, I'm after the whole of you. And that means your whole heart. The scribes and Pharisees, again, defined righteousness as doing right and avoiding wrong. Tip of the iceberg, Jesus says, no. Righteousness that is acceptable to me requires righteousness in the whole heart. Two rails. The kingdom of God, the heart of man. Can I, can I say this just because it struck me as I, I, I worked on this? Can I tell you why you're on the planet? Can I tell you why you're alive today? Can I tell you your purpose in life? 
the kingdom of God in the heart of man. Those rails hold. Those two themes define meaning and significance. Well, Jesus addressed our misunderstanding of the law in Matthew 5, 21 to 48. And this is again review. You remember he said, you've heard it said, <laughs> the law says, but I say. So he's, he's corrected our misunderstanding of the law. And right now in chapter six, verse one, through chapter six, verse 18, he's gonna address our misapplication of piety. Well, what's piety? Piety is spiritual devotion. Oh, what's another word, Lloyd? Spiritual disciplines. <laughs> Lloyd, get more practical. Having your quiet time. <laughs> it's like he's gonna address these practical things we do as we relate to him. Now, the text today is an introduction, okay? So, so there's a section, chapter six, verse one through 18. There are four parts, there are three parts to it. He addresses giving, like meeting needs, prayer, and fasting. Now, why does he address those three? Well, in part, you remember I said the religious leaders had boiled down life with God into behavior? Those are the big three. See, like those are the three, those are the big three that the religious leaders of Jesus' day said, look, do these and you're good. Jesus is gonna say, you can do these for the wrong reason, you're not good. You're not good at all. Okay, Matthew 6, verses one through four. We're gonna be in this four weeks, by the way, to cover the whole section through verse 18. God's word for us today. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the living word of God for us today. Well, we have historical record that the, the, the rabbis of Jesus's day taught that almsgiving, in fact, all three, almsgiving, uh, prayer and fasting, but almsgiving, meeting the needs of those who have needs, actually atones for your sin. So, so it was being taught that, you know, if you, if you give, then that's, that's making payment for your sin against God. Now you talk about motivation, you go, well, there's massive motivation for this. And they had obviously twisted God's intent. I want you to notice, however, even with that messed up view, Jesus doesn't eliminate the discipline or the act of obedience. He doesn't say, you know, they've totally messed this up. Don't give to the needy. No, he expects citizens of his kingdom to meet the needs of 
of others. It is his expectation. (laughs) Now, we're going to see in the coming weeks, he's going to say the same thing. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast, you all, these are three practices of kingdom citizens that Jesus expects us to do. The, the issue is not the act of meeting a need, of giving. It is what's below the waterline. Everybody with me? It's the motive. It's the reason. And we note in our text, verse one, they are doing it in order to be seen by people. Verse two, they are doing it in order to be praised by others. That's the religious leader's motivation. This is so important. The religious leaders did righteous in order to be righteous. This is the perversion of the gospel that Jesus addresses, that Paul addresses, that the whole New Testament addresses. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus did the righteousness required for a right standing before God. He did it. Therefore, when we place our faith and trust in Christ, his righteousness is credited to us. And therefore, when a Christian does righteousness, they are simply expressing the righteousness that is theirs. It's it's a total perversion to say, I'm going to do righteous to make me righteous. It's legalism in the law and it'll kill you. The gospel is the grace of Christ and the grace of God in granting us the righteousness of Christ. Citizens of God's kingdom are righteous and therefore we do righteous from within. The gospel of Jesus, you all, is fundamentally not about God getting his kids to behave better. No, no. It is about transforming the whole heart, giving you a new heart such that in the words of Paul, you're a new creation. Don't forget the Old Testament promise of the new covenant was not, I'm gonna give you a new set of laws that you can keep. I'm gonna give you some easier laws so you don't break them. No, what is, what is the promise of the new covenant that we just celebrated in the taking of the cup and the red? It is, I'm going to give you a new, you say it. Okay, let me try it again. All right. I'm, I'm gonna give you a new heart, y'all, heart. So this is like, not, it's not like new knowledge. This is the gospel according to Genesis through Revelation. Well, if I can cut to the quick on... Jesus' words here, he seems to give us two motivations. One, to be seen by others. The second, to be seen by God. I want you to note that if you, whatever you choose, you get. So it's not like you choose one, you don't get anything. No, if you choose to do in order to be seen by others, you will get 
the applause of man. You get it. If you choose to do that God is glorified, you get the applause of God and his reward. Here's why this is easier said than done. Why is it that, why, why is it that it's, it seems to be easier for us to, um, to, to get, uh, to live for the applause of men than for the applause of God? Why is that? I would suggest, if I could draw it like this, all of us, it's like we make choices in life. That, that people say, oh, you saw me do that. Oh, I see you do that. In the, in, in the world's system, I'm speaking generally, this isn't true everywhere. If you want to get ahead, if you want to get what you want, if you want to move up the corporate ladder, if you want to gain wealth, if you want to you know, achieve significance, if you want all those things, well, you do things. And it doesn't necessarily matter what your motive is. In fact, in life, you can move up faster with bad motives. You know what I'm saying? It's like you can, do the, you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and be promoted. And the person over here is trying to do the right thing with the right motive. Do you know what I'm saying? This is the way the world works. And so, man, the, the pressure in a sense to, to, to just, look, just do the right thing is massive because in this world system, just doing the right thing generally is rewarded but not in the kingdom of God, not in God's view. And this is where we find a principle I wanna offer to you, uh, something we just don't think about. I mean, we may ignore it, but ignore it no more. Here's the principle. Start with your motivation, not your obedience. Start with your motivation, not your obedience. Now, I can hear your thoughts, I think, because some of you are going, if I wait for my motivation to get right, I'll never do it. Others of you, you know, put a spiritual bend on it and might say, look, the life of faith is choosing to do the right thing even when I don't feel like it. That's what King Jesus says. I, I, got, I got you. Others of you may, may, may go, well, no, I don't know about that, Lloyd, because... Discipline is doing right because it's right. And, and what, what, what you're saying is, I go, I get that. But I want to come back and say to you, I didn't say, don't do what Jesus tells you to do until you feel like it. That's not what I said. I didn't say, look, don't do what Jesus tells you to do until the fear of doing it goes away, until you're courageous and you do. I didn't say that. I said, start with your motive, not your obedience. Because if you don't, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> and it's not me saying you're a hypocrite. It's Jesus saying you're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. 
you're a hypocrite being a, an actor. The, word, the root of the word's actor. You know, you got a mask on, but you're really this person, but you let, let everybody see this. Well, yes, we think of hypocrites as people who say one thing. He, you know, he says this, but then he does this. Well, that is a hypocrite. But there are other hypocrites. And one, according to Jesus, is this. When I do the right thing with the wrong motive, I'm a hypocrite according to Jesus. Motives matter. I will talk about the application of that in a moment. You know, it may mean this. This sounds odd. It may mean some of us need to give less. It may mean some of us need to pray less. And, and again, you're probably going, you're nuts. You know, you, this, God would never say that. And again, I go, if, you, if we don't keep these themes and the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll, get, we'll be off in the weeds. I'm telling you, the, the, the train's gonna run off the track. When I say that, I'm saying it right out of this context. How could giving less, Lloyd, how could praying less be good for my spiritual life? Well, let me tell you how. It's like this. It's like you're on a trip and you punch in where you're going and you head and and you're following your GPS. Only unbeknownst to you, you put in the wrong address. And so you are making fabulous time in the wrong direction. That's what he's saying. You guys, we can be doing the right thing. We could be making tremendous progress in the totally wrong direction if we're not aware of the motives, thoughts, emotions, desires that add it within the heart. Uh, Jesus is probably not being literal when he says, don't blow the trumpet. Um, it, it's, a, it's an idiom of the day. It, it, it's what you think. It's don't draw attention to yourself. Don't, don't say, hey, I'm, I'm giving now to help this poor person. Ding, ding, ding. See, that's not what he's saying. It, that's the idea. Don't do that. It, it's, it's an idiom when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Another idiom. It can't be literal. Okay, Look, My right hand doesn't even know what I just did. Is that amazing? No, that's craziness. That's crazy. Some people have taken this to say, well, all giving must be in secret. No one should ever know what I give or I give to, which would mean like, well, then all praying should be in secret and all fasting should be in secret. And when we do that, I'm telling you, we are getting into the woodenness of taking Jesus's words like the Pharisees and scribes did uh, Jesus, don't miss this. He gave publicly, he prayed publicly, and he fasted publicly. The apostles, the disciples, read the book of Acts. Read the New Testament letters. They, 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 they met needs and other people knew they did. They prayed and other people knew they were praying and they fasted and others knew they were fasting. You see that don't, don't, let's not get off in, let's not get off the rails. What's Jesus saying here? He's, he's talking about our motivation. And by the way, this idea, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I want you to think about this for a moment. Jesus is, if we take it as he's saying it, he's saying this, don't even let yourself know 
that you met someone's need. Because it's you, he's not talking about, he's not talking about don't let other people know what you did. He's talking about your hand, your left, and your right. So he's saying, don't let yourself even know. Well, what Jesus, what in the world does that mean? It means may we so live our lives from the posture of meeting needs of others that we forget that we do it. That's what it means. It's about self-forgetfulness in our generosity and service. You don't get in your car and bring to your mind, open door, sit, push button, start, hold. You, don't, you know, when you drive your car, we've done it so much, do we, do we remember all the stuff we do to drive? No, it's the same way in our giving, such that we would live our lives, I don't even remember that I met that need. That's the thought between don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, some of you have felt the tension in the text and there is, a, there is a tension because you know what he said in chapter five, verse 16? Jesus said this, let your light shine before others that they, they see your good works. And now we come to chapter six, verse one, and he says, don't let anybody know. Just do it and see. Well, the tension's resolved if we will come at the passage and say, What's he addressing here? Well, he's addressing motivation. So in chapter five, verse 16, note the motivation, chapter five, verse 16, if you read the whole passage is that they may glorify your father who is in heaven. In other words, let your works shine before others when your motivation is look at God, not me. Do you see that's the motivation? And so here in chapter six, verse one, he's addressing the scribes and Pharisees and our tendency to live only above the waterline and say, look, if your motivation is for people to see you, you need to repent from that. Don't let anyone see what you're doing. Well, I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. Uh, we will we'll be doing this over the next three weeks as we do 52 weeks a year. It's not enough to walk out of here in a few moments and go, that was interesting. Ooh, I didn't know that about the left and right hand. That's good to know. Man, motives matter, don't they? Yeah, it's not enough. When we come to God's word, it, the, the word is power of God to change us. God changes us in the choices that we make. And so we're always asking, what do we do? What's the application? And I'm going to offer you, I'm going to ask you to consider this application. I'm going to ask you to consider it because of this. Because Jesus expects our obedience. When you give, when you pray, and when you fast, see, this Jesus' expectation is our obedience. But our obedience is never separate from our motive, from our whole heart. And so I'm gonna invite you to consider four things. I'll put them up on the screen and just sit there and I'm gonna ask the spirit of God to bring these things to your mind. First, ask God to bring to your mind a need that someone has that you can meet. For some of you, it's just like that because you already, there was something happened this week and you thought there's, there's a need I can meet. Some of you maybe right now, he's bringing that, the spirit's bringing that to your mind. 
For some of you, it may be sometime this week, you run into something and you think, There's, they have a need and I can meet it. So the Spirit leads us this way. But, but there's, a, there's a little link here where you go, there's a need I can meet too. What's the concrete thing I can do? So I'm gonna ask you to ask the Spirit to, to show you. And He will. This is the Christian life. The Spirit shows you. What's the, the concrete act that you can either, I mean, it's something maybe you can give. Maybe it's just something you do to help meet a need. I don't know, but the Spirit will show you. So you say, Spirit, what's the, what's the action? And of course, lie to the text. We adjust our motive. And I say it this way. Bring your motive to the light. May I say this, and, and I believe I'm standing on biblical grounds when I say it, you will never do anything in this life with a pure motive, pure motive. I, I don't, that's possible in our fallenness, I, I, I don't think. And so it's not like, man, I gotta be pure, 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 pure. I can't even, oh, but I just had a bad thought. Dang it, it ruined that motive. No, 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 see, we go crazy on that. No, you bring the motives when you go, you know, I'm doing this because Lloyd told me to. <laughs> well, I hope we do it because Jesus instructs us to, but, oh, you know, you're gonna get applause. I, sure, we have all that. Well, what do you do? You bring it to the light. You bring it to the cross. We bring that motive to the cross. Say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do that to be seen. I, I can't get my motive pure. Well, you bring it to the cross, Jesus. You changed my heart. And I'm gonna act out of trusting you. Holy Spirit, you empower me to choose to do this. Even, I know my motive's not pure, but oh God, I'm confessing it. <laughs> it's in the light. And then sometime this week, I want to invite you to trust the Spirit to enable you to meet a need in someone. Look, it's not like you have to sit here and go, I gotta find someone out there in the world. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit will put that person in your path and not in mine and not in your neighbor's. I don't know, that's the way God works. And I wanna invite you to trust the Spirit to meet the need in a way that the person doesn't know it's you and in a way you'll forget about it a week from now. You just forget about it because you just do it out of God's heart in you. Does that make sense? Let's choose that path of application. Let's stand together. Those of you online, I want to hope you stay and stand with us and apply this text in this way. I want us to stand and we're gonna respond in a song. Now, here, here's why it's intentional. I'm telling you, the enemy of our souls is at work, as he always is, to, to cast doubt upon the words of truth, to give you a half-truth, not a whole truth, to call you a hypocrite and say, I can't believe you're even gonna do that. Whatever he may say is not the whole truth. And so we always, we always need to speak to our soul. You know how the psalmist says, old soul, you know, soul, my soul says, I speak to my soul. You know, we gotta speak to our hearts to go, I'm gonna bring the truth of God to my heart, the whole truth, and here's the whole truth. The whole truth is the love of God through the life of Jesus. That's the whole truth. It's ours by faith. The cross at the center of our hearts, the cross at the center of our hearts 
That's the truth. There's no better way to bring that truth to our hearts often than to sing it. It, it's, that's just the way God's made us in his image. Why that heavenly song is forever. We're gonna sing these words. My heart has been in your sights long before my first breath. I want you to be listening for that when we get to it and sing it because it's true. He's always, he's always been and always will be after our hearts. And because Jesus has changed our hearts because the Holy Spirit indwells us, we can obey him. We can obey him motivated by his glory and not our own. I'm telling you, our, before that step of obedience is a casting of ourselves on the cross. It is a, as we'll sing, always running to the Father who loves us.